Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. My name is Miranda. I'm in Salt Lake and I'm really loving your new show. I wanted to tell you about the connection I feel to my great-grandmother, Maudie. She and I never met. She died a few months before I was born. But I've always felt close to her, and in the tradition I was raised in, we always said that because we were born and I was born and she died so close together, we must have spent some time getting to know each other on the other side. Uh, I grew up hearing what a wonderful woman she had been, but it wasn't until grad school that I stumbled on a suitcase full of her things that was stored in my mother's garage. Uh, it must have been packed just after her funeral. It had her dentures and her hearing aids in it but also a photo that I'd never seen of her. And when I picked up that photo, it got, I got chills because I was seeing my face in 50 years, the way her skin sagged in certain areas. It was just, it was really shocking. And then as I learned more about her life, I felt even closer to her. And especially over this last year, when Maddie was 21, she was widowed from her childhood sweetheart, Clifton, who died in the flu pandemic. And she was left alone in a small Utah town and didn't know what to do with the rest of her life. It wasn't the life she had always planned and dreamed of. But within a few months, she and a girlfriend moved to Hawaii and took teaching jobs there. And the family legend from my grandfather is that she had just an amazing time and learned how to surf and just had this incredible adventure. Eventually, she moved back to L.A., where she remarried and was able to restart her life. And just, you know, this example of resilience and starting over has meant so much to me. The times in my life where I've found heartbreak or, you know, unexpected loss, it's really meant so much to me. So thanks for letting me share and keep going with the show. It's great. I'm Casper Kyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is The Real Question.
big thanks to Miranda for that wonderful voicemail. And it is such a beautiful illustration of the ways in which we can feel connected to people who come before us in our family, even without having met them in person and their strength and the potential yeah, inspiration that their lives can offer us as we navigate challenges in our, in our own experience, which sets up my question very well. Because the question that I'm bringing is, how can I feel more connected to my grandparents? Oh, that's a lovely question. Tell me, tell me more about them. Yeah, all four of them have passed. So it's not a question of just picking up the phone, but it's really a broader question about how to situate myself within my kind of family's ancestry and, and specifically how to feel connected to folks that have passed, just like Miranda's voicemail. So I'm going to focus on my paternal grandparents, so my, my father's parents, who I knew quite well. They only died a few years ago, and it was a largely, you know, loving, uncomplicated relationship. Uh, they lived in the Netherlands. I grew up in England. And so we would see them a couple times a year for a kind of longer period of time. We'd stay with them over the summer for about two weeks. And I come from a pretty privileged family. And so when we would stay with them, they lived in in their house. And then there was kind of a smaller bungalow next to them where we would be staying as a family of six. And to illustrate the kind of wonderful and, and slightly perhaps strange way in which we interacted, Rather than all of us eating together three times a day and like being together all day, each meal, <laughs> one of me and my three sisters would be allowed to join them at their kitchen table for dinner. And so one by one, we would share a meal with my grandparents. Now, I understand this now as not being the usual way in which grandparents <laughs> operate. But I also totally understand their perspective because they were like, listen, there are four children and we are going to be overwhelmed by all of them. We want to have a real conversation with each grandchild so we can develop a real relationship. And I loved those times. Like we would sit around the table and they would ask me about what I was learning or they would tell stories about their own life. And it, it felt wonderful to have that sole attention, you know, focused on you, especially as one of four kids. But at the same time, it shaped a formality in our relationship, which only melted away really in the final few years, especially with my grandmother, when her physical and mental abilities just became less. And she actually became, to me, a very loving, cuddly person. You know, the last time I saw her with Sean, she was just bursting into tears as we said goodbye and said, stay together, just stay together. It was the last thing she said to us. And of course, you know, makes me, makes me well up when I think of that. But she was also an absolute nightmare to the staff who were looking after her. Right. I think she went through maybe 42 different assistants over the period of a few years because she was so difficult. My grandfather was a corporate lawyer for Shell for most of his career. And here I was as a young climate activist coming from that history. And so there's a complexity in embracing the fullness of who they were. My uncle, who's gay, had a pretty difficult time when he came out with my grandmother. She was always fine with me. But, you know, again, there's, there's just there's, there's things there which are complicated. I want to find a way to embrace the fullness of who they were and who I am and to feel this, I don't know, a stronger bond at a richer emotional level where I feel like I'm really close to them, even though, you know, they have died. I mean, first of all, I just have one question out of curiosity. Was there yeah. any point when you were there over the two weeks that you had dinner as a whole family, like all eight of you? 
yeah, we we would do it probably once, and it was usually when other family members came as well. So okay. it would be like twenty people. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and partly because I think my grandfather's deafness, it was kind of overwhelming. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, and even then, you know, it was with cloth napkins. There was a, there was a starter, a, a main course and a dessert. You know, th- yeah. there was a formality to to the proceedings. Yeah. I was just like, did your dad ever get to see his four kids with his hair? Like, were you always separated? That was purely for my curiosity. It is irrelevant. Um, Let's say that this doesn't work, that like your relationship with your grandparents and your understanding of them stays the same, stays yeah. stagnant for the rest of your life. What do you feel like you would be losing? I feel like I would in some way be keeping the kind of formality in place, like mm. that it wouldn't be full in the way that I hope it will be. You know, I have in my <laughs> I have in my Google calendar the days in, in which they died and their birthdays. So there are little reminders of their presence or, or my relationship to them, you know, when it comes around. And in one of them, I have like light a candle for my grandfather kind of thing, but I don't really do it. Like there isn't an action that I have. And, and maybe that's what I'm looking for. But I'm also thinking about at the moment, I'm not planning to have kids. And so I feel like there's some sense of history traveling through me. And I've been really intentional about thinking, what are things that I want to pass on, even if it's not to my children, but into the world? And I guess I maybe want to clarify a bit, what are the gifts that I have inherited from them? Mm -hmm. And what are the things that I want to say, well, that ends here? You know what I mean? Totally. You know, there's this idea of like spotlight theory or shine theory where you only pay attention to the positives of something. So like if Mm. you were the leader of a big fancy organization, rather than saying this employee didn't do well this week, right? You would say, look at how great Casper did this week. These are all the things that Casper (laughs) did great. Mm. And I think that in my experience, that's one of the gifts of being a grandchild versus a child mm-hmm. is that you get to only spotlight the good stuff. People love being grandparents. And I think it's just fun to only have people love you for the good stuff. Right. And <laughs> what? I'm laughing because <laughs> that was not my grandmother. Like she would compare the different cousins about like how well they were doing in life. And like, there was a little art gallery downstairs. My grandmother was an artist and one cousin had like seven pictures up there. <laughs> and you know, I only had three. Um, so like, And I know you counted. <laughs> oh, every year I, I did a checkup and said like, is my work up to scratch? I guess what I'm saying is this is exactly my experience. That was not my grandmother in particular. Like it wasn't that sense of like, oh, I'm going to give you all the sweets, you know, like the kind of things that, that you might you might expect to find from a grandparent. <laughs> so Casper, I think I'm hearing three different threads um, mm. in, <laughs> in what you've given me. So the first one is a question of legacy, right? Mm. It's how do I get inspired by their stories like Miranda told us about, right? Like, right. and whether that is in opposition to them, like becoming a climate activist, even though your grandfather was a lawyer for Shell, Or inspired by them, you know, your grandmother was, my grandmother was an artist and I always want to be artistically interested, right? 
So the first one is that, is that legacy question. The second one I'm hearing is how do I have a relationship that is still evolving with someone even after they've died? Hmm. Like how can that relationship still be dynamic and changing and growing with me even if they have become sort of stagnant because of their deaths? And then the third one I'm hearing is, how do I reckon with these specific people? They were great grandparents, but they were flawed grandparents and they were formal and they were all these things. How do I integrate that into my life? And I'm wondering Hmm. which of those threads you're like, yes, that's the thread. Or if you're like, no, it's a fourth thread out there, idiot. It's really helpful to hear you say those because it's like, oh, yes, that's it. With a little bit of this one, like the second one that you illustrated, this sense of like, how do I have a relationship as I'm changing and the world is changing with these two people and really the memories that I have of them and the stories that other people share about them with me. So that feels really at the center of it, but also a little bit that sense of legacy, like as I change and as the world changes, what do I really want to draw on and and inherit actively from who they were, right? The gifts that they have to share. So I think a combination of those first two feels really right on. Yeah, that's really helpful. So again, luckily I do not have to solve this because wow, (laughs) like how do you commune with the dead and, you know, reckon with their legacy? No big deal, Casper. Call this 800 number and get your (laughs) free psychic reading now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Free? No, that's how I get rich. Call this one 900 number and it's $29.99 a minute. Okay, so what, what sources have you brought for us to look at? So the first source that I want to bring us, the first text, is also partly what really inspired this question for me over the last kind of six months or so. And it's a three-part essay by Francis Stoner Saunders in the London Review of Books called The Suitcase. And this piece of writing floored me. It is so beautiful. And if you want to be transported into a multi-generational adventure and reflection and, oh my gosh, like go and read this this essay. It's, It's just stunning. The whole essay is really a woman's exploration of her father's life and his family context. She grew up in the UK. Her father was a a young boy in Romania as the Second World War broke out. And Stoner Saunders manages to weave together like personal narrative, history, family biography in just this captivating way. And there's one little paragraph in there, which really struck me as I read it at the time. And I wrote it out, you know, when you capture a little sparklet from something that you're reading. And she writes this, All these zigzags in the past can be of no interest to young children because they live in the here and now. It's not that they don't have memory. It's that childhood is its own estate, free from the malady of history. And that final phrase, free from the malady of history, is the first text that I really want to draw on because it kind of releases some of the anxiety of of this question, honestly. I found myself questioning this question. Like, what? why is this something that I'm worried about or that I'm thinking about? Like, I shouldn't have to be defined by what previous generations have done. And so I feel like this little piece of text has something to say about that you don't have to get sucked into the malady of history, right? The the sadness, the difficulty, the sickness even. Like, there's something freeing about this, which feels like an important counterweight to the exploration of lineage. So that that's the first one that I chose. 
And so it seems as though maybe you're asking yourself, can I just choose to live in this one way like a child, free from the malady of history and maintaining fond memories of my grandparents, but not like engaging in their history? Right. And and I want to be clear, this isn't me being like, I'm completely separate from where my family's wealth comes from, for example, or right. Like there are absolute ways where I don't want to like ignore the past and the ways it shaped my life. Like there are important pieces of that. But as you said, this is really about like, is it enough just to have the memories that I have? And like, maybe it's okay the way it is. I guess what I'm doing with this text is saying like, well, that's a nice question, Casper, but you don't have to, it doesn't have to mean anything. Like you can just wonder about it and look at the, you know, the portrait that you hung on the wall of your grandparents. And that's lovely. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, let me do that for you. <laughs> like what you're doing is enough. It just is, right? You do not have to do more to reckon with your grandparents and deal with who they were. It actually sounds like you do a lot. You have these physical reminders of them. You have these calendar, like time of year ritual reminders of them. We can like end here. Like it's enough. (laughs) How did that make you feel when I said that? Well, see, that's why I was like, okay, but it isn't enough. (laughs) Okay. So there it is. All right. (laughs) And of course, that's in the whole essay, right? Like this author spends three very long essays looking into the malady of history and not because there's anything horribly wrong about her life or her father's experience. She just wants to understand what happened. And for her, she has this physical object, a suitcase, which is filled with documents and and various other artifacts of of her family's history that, that kind of leads her curiosity. And the image of this suitcase, like being in an attic unopened, feels true to me, right? Like, I think maybe the way that you articulated it's a little bit about reckoning and and the story of how it shaped me. But it's also about like, as I get older, I look at my grandparents from a different vantage point. I got to know them as a child, then a teenager, right? When I, when I loved being there on my own, because it was like away from my own family. And then as an adult, I saw maybe some more of the, their faults, I think, as we all do with the people we love as we grow older. And now as I gracefully enter middle age, and I hope one day old age, I guess I just want to stay in relationship with them. I don't want them to fade into my past as my childhood has. Like I, I, that might sound very strange, but like, I want to stay, yeah, I want to stay close to them because I, I want to, I think I can feel a love from them. And I hope, I mean, this sounds very weird, but like, I want to love them even in their absence. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Casper, I'm wondering how much this question is a question about your relationship with your father. Mm. Because like one way that you could feel closer to them is by talking to your dad about them, right? You made a joke about how like they're dead so you can't call them, but like you can call your dad and you are very good at organizing things. You could set up a half hour or an hour long call once a month with your dad where you record interviews with him telling stories about his parents. I'm not trying to offer you a practical solution. Yeah. I'm just wondering, I mean, the question really is, what what's the role of your father in this question? Yeah, it's such a great question, Vanessa. My favorite thing as a kid was my dad telling us stories about when he was growing up. 
Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, at the dinner table, those were our favorite stories because he would often be telling stories about getting into trouble or like, yeah. you know, the, the wild adventures that he would go on and um, <laughs> the kind of strange and wonderful reactions of my grandparents. But I think next to that sweetness, he also experienced a formality with them. I, I don't think my experience was very different from his. Of course, there are way more stories, but the modality in which they lived together, I think was was pretty similar. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is like, I like that train of thought, but it doesn't feel like the core location of what I'm exploring. Mm. I... I like don't totally buy your answer of like, <laughs> well, my dad won't have any additional information on my grandparents. He had the same relationship that I did. Are you saying that your dad understands them the same way you do, but you're trying to get to like a truer understanding of them or like he's just as biased as I am? I want to know who they were. OK, this is really helpful. And of course, like my dad had a very, you know, he was that kid, right, rather than their grandchild. So I know their relationships were different. But maybe this is getting to the heart of it, Vanessa, because when my grandmother died, beside her bed were all of these fascinating spiritual texts. I didn't grow up as part of religious tradition. Neither of my parents grew up growing to church. My grandparents weren't religious on either side in any evidenced way. And so like me being obsessed with religion in the way that I am, I'm always like, oh, this is kind of interesting. I knew that she was interested in kind of spiritual life and themes in in an an artistic way. Like that was definitely part of her thinking around her art. And like when we would walk through their garden, you know, and when I was like five or six, like she would talk about the fairies and the woodlands and like, you know, and I was totally into that. I love that stuff. But I kind of assumed as I got older that that was playing, you know, like that's something you do with a child. But then, you know, seeing these books next to her bed after she'd passed, I was like, oh, there was a whole like inner life for her and for my grandfather that I feel like I never got access to or that they didn't they didn't share that actively. I guess what it feels like is I wish I wish I'd had a chance to like connect with their inner lives in a way like I loved their outer lives and who they were in many ways, even though not all of it was perfect. But that feels like it's behind a closed door or like, you know, something that I would have loved to talk to my grandmother about. And I, I never thought to ask. And because I've changed, like I would now ask that question. I just hadn't yet really discovered that interest at that age when she was still alive. I don't know if this is about me as like the person you're talking to or about you, but this also seems to me about grief and mortality. Casper. Hmm. <laughs> You are not a child, so you're no longer free from the malady of history. You have to Mm. reckon with them as the people they were. And you're never going to know their inner lives. Yeah. And that is sad. It is sad. It's super sad because it sounds like you maybe had a ton in common with them that you never spoke about. Totally. And like they were spiritual in a way that they didn't share with you. And you ended up going to divinity school and... You might not have had a lot of paintings up, but you could have connected with your grandmother about this. Yes. Totally. (laughs) And like, and your dad and his generation didn't really get that about them, but like you could have, but I like, I'm sorry, but they're dead. Yeah, me too. You know, my grandfather loved, he spent years 
like translating and researching the Grail story about Parsifal. I think I've mentioned this yeah. on the Harry Potter and Sacred Text podcast. And I'm like, what was that about? Like this myth of of this impossible challenge and this like English Arthurian legend. Like, what was it about that story that resonated with him so much? I just, I, I wish I could have talked about that. And I, yeah, I think I'm just coming up against some of that sadness of like, I never will be able to. And <laughs> what else is there to say except to just like sit with that? But I don't like sitting with sadness, Vanessa. <laughs> I want to do something. <laughs> I do think that there are things you can do, right? And mm. like, and we're about to turn to our second text, but it actually sounds like you know more than you think you know about their spiritual lives, mm. right? Like if you want to access your grandfather's inner spiritual life, go translate Percival <laughs> just for the sake of doing it and to see what mm. spiritual gifts are in there. Go walk through a garden and wonder about the fairies to feel yeah. closer to your grandma, right? Like they actually gave you a lot of gifts. I mean, you're a man who wrote a book about the power of ritual. So like <laughs> they gave you rituals that you can yeah. step into. What you don't have access to is the conclusions they came to, yeah. but you know some of the things that they did. Mm. Also, I I just want to say before we move on that you do some of the things that they did because those dinners were formal, but they were also about paying close attention to one person at a time. And you, of anyone I know, are so good at paying attention to one person and to asking them all of the questions, right? And wanting to get to know all about them. Do you think maybe that comes from them? I mean, maybe. And you love cloth napkins. I do. <laughs> that was the reason I knew I was going to marry Sean on our third date. There were cloth <laughs> napkins and real candles. So, I, like, I think that, A, there's some rituals that you already know that you can step into if you want to. And, B, there are ones that you already have. Mm. And that's lovely. And, C, they're dead. So it's never going to get better. <laughs> Might as well claim what you can. Right. Do what you can. <laughs> I love that, Vanessa. Yeah. Well, let's see. I feel like I threw a lot at you. So let's mm. see what sticks after we spend a little bit of time with another text. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, Casper, what is the second text that you brought for us? Well, one of the joys, and I'm not saying there were many, but it was one of the joys of the COVID experience was that I really tried to lean into something, an art form that I could access even though I wasn't able to go out. And so I watched a ton of musical theater on YouTube and like tried to listen to new soundtracks and kind of musical scores just on audio. And one of the the shows that I watched for the first time was Sunday in the Park with George, which is a Stephen Sondheim show that in many ways is extremely weird. The story of the musical spans a couple of generations. It starts in the 19th century in Paris, really following the life of an artist, George Seurat, And he has this kind of complicated relationship with a woman who is with him and then not with him. And she models for him. And we we find George painting her. And a lot of the story is about George's relationship with his art, with the, the paintings that he's making, and also with this woman who he loves and she loves him. But it is it's a troubled relationship. So that's kind of like act one, if I can be very brief. In act two, we we jump forward through time. And we find the daughter of this woman now in America with her nephew, who is also an artist who works with very interesting like laser shows and some like new art format, but also an artist. And in the song Children and Art, she is reflecting on basically the the gifts of life, what life is all about. And the answers being children and art, right? This sense of, of a family and of creativity. Did I tell you who that was? Of course. That is your mother. Isn't she beautiful? There she is, there she is, there she is, there she is. Mama is everywhere. He must have loved her so much. Is she really in all those places, Marie? This is our family. This is the lot. After I go, this is all that you've got, honey. Wasn't she beautiful, though? And the specific quote from that song that that really struck me this time is, This is our family. This is the lot. After I go, this is all you've got, honey. I don't know. It gives me shivers even just saying it out loud because it's pointing to what we were just talking about, right? Like, Art is so much about our inner lives, even though it manifests in an outer creation. It comes from our imagination. It comes from our experience. It comes from our own interpretation of life and what we make of it. And the gift that the younger George, confusingly also called George, right, this new artist, what he's giving is so unrecognizable to this older woman, but she's stitching together this connection to to her own mother who was painted by the old George. And even in a sort of spiritual way, I guess, 
an artistic connection between the two Georges, even though there's no familial line there. And Casper, when she says, after I go, this is all you've got, honey, that's about the painting, like this painting and all that it implies is all you've got. Yeah, yeah. She's pointing to this painting because, of course, her mother is depicted on it. And she, you know, she's kind of in and out of totally being with it. And so she she's seeing her mother and all of these figures and she's very old at this point. So I think she's kind of realizing that for young George, this is the final connection to the generation that she knew, the place, right, of, of, of Paris and France. He's now in America. And so, yes, she's pointing to the artwork, but it but it represents also this sense of lineage and, and kind of generational connection in the family. Casper, this to me just speaks to the fact that you have to talk to your dad. Hmm. Though after I go, this is all you've got. Yeah. It can just be one conversation of like, dad, they had spiritual lives. Like what were all those books on grandma's bedside table? Yeah. Yeah. That feels like a conversation I've not had with him before. That feels really different as an invitation. Cause I know if I ask, like, tell me about my grandparents, like right. I'd get amazing adventure stories and I love those right. and I should record those cause they are super entertaining, but this is really what it's about. Yeah. And even if he doesn't know much more than I do. He'll know more about the context, you know. And just in conversation, you guys might figure things out together. It's just this like, yeah. after he goes, all you've got are the things, you know, that you know. So like try to fill up your yeah. arsenal while you can. You know, I'm also thinking about, well, what are the things that I have access to from their lives? Like I could read my grandfather's translation of Parsifal and I never have. So Although this character is pointing, you know, to what this artwork means in terms of the familial connection, she's also pointing to a real artwork. And like, so I, I could, I could look more closely at the actual things that I have, you know, the actual text that they created, the actual artwork that that my grandmother made, and and look for more what I can find in in those texts themselves, as it were. Yeah, I, I guess the thing that I want to say to you is that you have all the tools. I think you came to this question with a feeling of like, they're dead. This is static. There's nothing else for me to do. And what I would like to offer back to you is like, you have so much, right? Your dad is still alive. You have Percival, you have artwork, and you have this authentic connection to them. This, Mm. I'm interested in religion and they were interested in religion in this like weird atheist way. And so I feel like all I'm offering you is this like slight shift of focus yeah. of like, no, no, you actually have a lot. You're looking for more options when mm. what you need to do is maybe go deeper, not wider. Yeah. And it's such a good reminder. I'm sure there are many people who are curious about their grandparents and don't have as many connections or, or stories or primary sources to be able to dig into. And so I'm, I'm starting from a very lucky place in lots of ways. That's, a, that's honestly a good reminder as well. Let me read this again. This is our family. This is the lot. After I go, this is all that you've got, honey. Hmm. What is it bringing up for you in this context? Yeah, I'm suddenly <laughs> really seeing this connection with your, with your question because the person who says this is not the grandparent themselves. It's the parent. And so, yeah, like she's saying, 
George, after I go, right? Like this becomes history rather than memory, the woman that you're seeing in the painting. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really receiving your invitation for me to just talk more with my dad. And there's also something about finality in here, right? This is the lot for better and worse, right? This is, this is who they were and what they did and what they created and what they left. And maybe there's a little bit of an invitation for me not to wish for things to have been different or be, or be different now, but to really embrace what I do have and what I have access to. And I don't know, I also like the word honey. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, you know, that's not something they would have said, but I like hearing it. <laughs> well, honey, I, the thing I also want to say, you said that you don't like sitting in the sad, but it is sad, right? Yeah. Death is forever. Like sometimes I get sick of missing dead people. Hmm. It feels like hide and go seek and that I want to yell, come out, come out wherever you are. Like, okay, <laughs> you've been dead for 20 years. Like I'm over it. And I just like, don't think that mortal beings are capable of understanding the finality of death. Mm. And so it makes sense to me that you're like still resisting it, that you're like, they're dead, but I don't know everything I want to know about them. So they Mm. can't be dead. Like I wasn't done with them. And so I I just want to acknowledge, right? Like, like this is the lot and Mm. that's all you've got, honey. And Mm. that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you just said. Like, I'm not done. Because they died when they were a ripe old age. You know, they lived right. good lives. That When they died, I, I was sad, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't beside myself. I, the time had come. It was a slow and gradual process. There wasn't any shock. So I wasn't necessarily like distraught or, or at all. But it's it's funny. Like, I feel like the grief is more... I think it's going to grow throughout my life rather than diminish because it it wasn't the peak when they died. The peak is coming as I realize more and more the things that I would have liked to talk about with them or, you know, just to learn from them. Or, yeah, that's such a different way of thinking about grief. I've, I've never seen that pattern before, but that, that feels really true. I mean, I also think to go back to your first quote, that you're free from the malady of history when you're young, mm. but you're also free from the malady of understanding that people age. I remember when my father turned to me and said, oh my God, I'm the age that your grandfather was when I met him. And when I met him, I thought he was an old man. Yeah. Right. And so of course, as you age, you're going to be like, oh my God, my grandfather was once 40. Right. Like he wasn't just this old man from a young kid's eyes. You're perspective is changing. You are no yeah. longer free from the malady of history. And you are like very aware that they were young once and that you'll get old, right? Like, yeah. and so to me, this yearning speaks to some resistance of like embracing the mm. this is the lot. Mm. But it also is therefore an invitation to dig deeper into the the great gifts that you have with them. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that feels so true. Like putting those two together, free from the malady of history. This is our family. This is the lot. After I go, this is all that you've got, honey. I mean, that's, yeah, it changes the way I'm reading that first phrase. Like I'm no longer a child, (laughs) right? it's, It's like, I can't be that anymore because I have changed. It's not that they did something different or like the world has changed. It's like, no, I'm different. And so 
the life stage that I'm in, right, has moved from this freedom of childhood towards this older age. And at some point, I'll be saying, after I go, this is all that you've got. And that, I know that intellectually, but like to feel that is very different. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing that this question has brought up for me Mm. is just that even when people die in the best of circumstances, even when they were privileged and old and Mm. like maybe even ready to die and were able to fix the mistakes with their grandchildren that they made with Mm. their children Mm. and say, you know, to their gay grandson, the thing that they couldn't say to their son, right? Like Mm. even in that, the human condition is sad. I think that's just another thing, right? Is like they had beautiful lives and yet it's sad that they died because they had more gifts to give. Mm. Mm. I think about the fact that Sean is now a garden designer and my grandmother was a garden designer and my mother was a horticulturist. <laughs> like that, There's these very strange connections across time and he wasn't yet doing the work he is now when when he knew my grandmother, but she would have had such delight in that, you know? So I, I think it's that in every happiness and in every experience, really, that life will continue to offer, there'll always be the sense of like, oh, this is not something they I could share with them. And of course, that is just going to grow, right? I sometimes think to myself, right, the more people I love, the more people I'm going to miss. <laughs> um, and, and that... <sighs> Yeah, that's just hard. But Casper, I wonder if on some level the spark within Sean to become a garden designer was in part because of your grandma. Oh, and he would say so. I mean, oh. b- b- both my mother and my gran- grandmother. Yeah, I mean, he loved being there and, and seeing the beautiful garden that she had made. And, you know, definitely my mother has also been a huge encourager of him. And that and that's so lovely to see. Unfortunately, it means I'm going to have to do like gardening chores, which I hated as a child and promised myself I'd never have to do when I left home. I have married into a continued life of that. I have solved how you can feel closer to your grandmother. <laughs> Please don't tell me gardening chores. Gardening chores. <laughs> no. <laughs> That is how you can feel closer. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, hopefully one day Sean and I will have a a place of our own and and a beautiful garden. And I I know that will be a place in which I feel, you know, a sort of smile cosmically from somewhere and pointing out what needs weeding, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, thank you so much, Casper. That was a really beautiful question. Hmm. Well, thanks for helping me get to those, like, revelations. Honestly, if I, I really feel like I learned something important in this conversation. So thank you. And thanks to Stephen Sondheim and to Francis Stoner Saunders. If you haven't watched Sunday in the Park with George and you want to have your kind of musical mind blown, check it out. And that beautiful three-part essay, The Suitcase, is very, very worth a read. You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So if you have the means to help us out, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you like the show, please review us on iTunes. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod and Twitter at therealqpod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Boll and we're distributed by Acast. 
Thanks to Julia Argie, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Molly Baxter, all of our incredible patrons, everyone who submitted voicemails, including Miranda, who we featured, Stephanie Purcell, and these fabulous individuals who included the word trooper in their iTunes review. Kelly, Goth Girl 4, Corinne Celeste, Megan Face, Claire Deloon 32, Pema 6, Nanette T, Mo Rain J, Maddie McRojas, Audrey Alice K, A Loaves Books. A Loves Books. A Loves Books. Sea <laughs> Turtle 2000, Flower Picker 713, and of course the wonderful Lauren G167. We so appreciate it. Thank you. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.